Welcome to the Mostly Legal Podcast, a show where we ask the hard questions to get to know the people behind the scenes of the business law. This week, we are interviewing Maria Stanfield, who recently left her role as Director of Administration for Pillsbury and started a new endeavor, which will, without a doubt, change the future face of law firms. I'm Rob Joyner, Chief Revenue Officer at Centerbase. And I'm Amanda Copeless, Executive Director for a mid-sized law firm based in Central Florida. I found Maria through some LinkedIn stalking, and I really loved her backstory. Even better, I found a shared contact, a name that loyal, mostly legal podcast listeners are going to recognize and be excited to hear from again. Before we get started, I want to thank our podcast sponsor, Centerbase, software built to power mid-sized law firms. Let's dive in. Hi, Maria. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to do something a little different. We have a special guest on that's going to introduce you. Our faithful listeners are going to remember Jenna Carter, who made a big splash in season one when she and Chastity Deckard introduced each other using lyrics to Beyonce. So the stage is set really high, and we'd love to hear what you have put together to introduce Maria Stanfield for us. Hello, Mostly Legal. I am back. You can't get rid of me. Jenna Carter is back in the building. Um, When Amanda asked me to introduce Maria, I wanted to do so in a way that Chastity and I had done in our episode in the last season. So one day, Amanda and I chatted about the podcast and how I was going to come up with the intro, and I told her I was stuck. I said, Maria is such a phenomenal woman. I want to do her justice. And then, boom, spark of inspiration hit me. I thought, why not write her into it as a play on the famous Maya Angelou poem, Phenomenal Woman. Now, before I get started, I have a disclaimer. I am no poet. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Okay. So please do not dislike this podcast because of it. Okay. So here we go. Phenomenal Maria. Professional people wonder where Maria's secrets lie. She's not the president of the United States or have a TikTok or Instagram following of a huge size. But when she starts to tell them their potential, they think she's telling lies. She says it's in the reach of her message, the span of her experience, the impact of her work. She's a professional woman, phenomenally. A phenomenal professional woman, that's she. Mostly legal, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Miss Maria Stanfield. Thank you. That was amazing. Wait, so I have to follow up with a question now? That was amazing. That was yeah, great. How are you gonna, I loved it. How are you going to follow that, Rob? Uh, well, I was actually, Maria, really intrigued to hear your story and your backstory in the pre-interview. You know, you started as a receptionist at Pillsbury and your career, to say it's progressed, uh, would not give it justice. So, you know, just to start out, can you talk about how you started with the firm and then your per- career progression over the years? Sure. And and Jenna, I love that. Thank you so much. And as we were just talking, Rob, if I may, we were um, in the pre-show, we were just chatting about what really makes a phenomenal person. And the aha came to me just minutes before the show. And it is really someone who is walking in their purpose, in their in their calling. And when I think about people that I, I consider as well phenomenal, that's what they do. They show up fully. So thank you for asking me that question about my, my career journey. It's been rather unconventional because 
While my friends were going off to college after high school, rather than going directly to college, I got a second job in the service industry to assist my family financially. We had gone through a traumatic phase of domestic violence in our home. And so it was uh, it was something that really made me, as I think back today, it really shaped who I am today. And I think it's a true for a lot of people. And so years later, after I'd been working in the um, service industry, a friend of mine recommended that I apply for this receptionist position at a law firm where she worked in the mailroom. And I remember walking into this beautiful building and immediately feeling (laughs) completely intimidated and unsure of what I was getting myself into. I got the job. But, you know, I had grown up in this city. I'm a native Washingtonian. But this side of Washington, D.C. and big law, I had never experienced before, quite (laughs) frankly. It was like, what? I mean, it was just absolutely beautiful. Conference rooms, mahogany, the elegance of everything, marble floors, and and everything looked rich. And I'll just never forget that. And I knew that I wanted to be there. I knew that that was where I belong. And so I just just dove right in. Um, And today... You know, when I think back of that first day there, it is just a pivotal moment in my life, in my career. That's awesome. And so from the from the receptionist position, you started out and you shared a little bit about this with us before. What caused you to want to not be intimidated and go up further into behind the doors of the Mahal? Yeah, I'm even more interested hearing just how yeah. you started in walking in. Now now you've set the stage. <laughs> <laughs> so walking into that now, and remember, I hadn't gone to college at this point. And so these people have these titles behind their name, which are longer than my full last name of Stanfield. <laughs> so if that's not intimidating, I don't know what is, but it was the mentorship that really propelled me from the front desk to the corner office. It was the ability to, even though it was a very male dominated industry, you know, working in a law firm at that time, uh, I had up close and personal relationships with boss women. And that came through me sitting at the front desk. You see, you're at the helm when you're at the front desk, right? You get to see everybody, mm-hmm. <laughs> you get to write, you're, and you're the face of the firm. You're the voice and the face of the firm. And so before I knew it, I'll never forget the moment that I had an opportunity to ask. At that time, she was called the director of personnel. Today, it's the human resources brand. But I asked her if I could help her. I saw all the many applicants coming in and I was giving them their applications, you know, before online and uh, the interaction. And and she began to give me a little bit more. And then when I finally had an opportunity to ask her, Rob, to say, okay, can I help you do anything else? Is there anything else that I can help you do? Her answer was no. Hmm. But you can go in the back and ask my staff in the back. And that opened up another door for me. Uh, that that was the open door that I needed because that was a discovery point for me that I knew that HR, human resources, was where I wanted to go in my career. So, so can you pause there for a second? Because I think that's a big point. A lot of people would get that rejection, right? You've come in, you're at the you're you're the receptionist for the firm, you've come in, you've asked for more, you're rejected. How did you handle that rejection the way you did and and, and how did you push through that? 
Thank you. Ooh, I, you know, thank you for saying that. I hadn't thought about that before. <laughs> That's big. It you is know, to big. keep wanting to push. It is big. It is big, but it was also, it's big, but it wasn't a no for me. Yeah. Listen, think about it. I'm this high school educated young black woman, the face of a major law firm. I've already gotten the biggest yes of my life, right? Yeah. So a no was a no was a not yet. Mm. A no was a pause. A no was okay. The opportunity's not now, but it doesn't mean that the door is closed for me. And then, she, but she gave me also an opportunity. She said, "Go back and talk to my staff," and that's where my end was. That's where the door opened. So the no really wasn't a no. It was just. Not now and not for me, but there was still an open door. Do you know how many HR professionals are sitting here thinking, I cannot believe she voluntarily chose this position? (laughs) 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 Some of us have, a lot of us just fall into this, but you voluntarily said, you know what, I'm going to go and and work in personnel. And so... Wow, that alone is something to give you props for. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to, to to sidetrack, but I just wanted to to hit on that point. Could you keep talking uh, about your career progression uh, from that point? When I think back of all the opportunities, and and mm-hmm. this is the thing, in your career, I'm sure there were many times where they there were lots of problems. When you think about your career trajectory and you, how you you walk through some really tough problems. One of the things that I've learned through a, a, someone I love to follow, he's uh, passed away now, his name is Miles Monroe. He tells a story about how he was uh, preaching the gospel. He's talking about um, uh, the gospel and he's talking about, you know, transformational lives. And he goes into this segment and uh, where he's talking in front of, uh, excuse me, a, a number of Asian businessmen, believe it or not. They're here to hear the word, right? But he's <laughs> teaching about, he's teaching entrepreneurs. And after the whole program, he's taken to a restaurant by these seven very powerful billionaire businessmen. And they ask him a question as a black man, why do you think your people are not successful? And he looks around, he's like, my people, you mean black people? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and then he's interrupted before he can respond, he's interrupted and he's asked, he's, he's, he gets an answer from one of the other businessmen. And he says this, and this is what I built my career on. He said, when other people see problems, they pause. See, in, in, in your community, it's like you get out of school, you get a job. With my, my community, in my culture, we see problems as opportunities. And in fact, every problem, the word, the actual word problem in Mandarin translates to opportunity. And so in the course of my career, I have looked at every problem as an opportunity to grow, to find a solution. And as I make that journey, you know, progression uh, throughout my career, it has helped me advance to the next stage. So, yeah, that's a that's a long winded answer to your question. But I hope that helps you understand sort of the background of who I am and, and how I forged through my career from the front desk to the corner office. 
So Maria, after you started working for what was formerly called personnel, the tell me like what position changes you made from there forward. Amanda, I had every opportunity to work in all aspects of HR and figure out what I loved and what I absolutely <laughs> will never do again. Benefits <laughs> <laughs> was one of those. Kudos to the people who work in the benefits, but that oh, is man. that's not me. <laughs> Like, well, I would rather do benefits any day than something like telling people that they need to wear more deodorant because I have literally done that before. So, and that's like, I would rather plunge into a benefit book any day than do some of the Mm -hmm. other stuff. But so you figured out that there were certain parts of HR that you enjoy doing and, and some of them were not. You seem like somebody who would be much better at doing the human side of it than I Absolutely. am. <laughs> the relational side, the um, persuasive side. Yes, that was that was definitely uh, my forte. And, and as I said at the beginning of the show, it's when you find what your niche is, what your calling is, that's where you become phenomenal at what you do. And so that was it for me, for having the opportunity to work up close and personal with people and walk them through the evolving stages of career and career challenges for them as well. And yes, the hiring and the firing. (laughs) And then you were at Pillsbury for 38 years, which I know for a lot of people listening is kind of, I mean, not only is Rob not even 38 years old, but I was just thinking you hadn't made a jab yet. And I was thinking it was the fact that we're recording on a Monday morning, but it didn't take long for you to to deal with, I had to come up to, with to something. Make your first. I had to come up with something. Yeah. You know, this past weekend, I was told that I make jabs at millennials too often, and I'm, I'm thinking, no, I don't. And then, and five then I minutes said, in, yes, you do. No, yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I wear my bulletproof vest around Amanda. It's all good. I can take it. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rob has to wear like a full metal jacket plus a hat. Like it's all coming. You don't bother me all the time. It's just oh, all talk. I'll talk. Yep. Mm. <laughs> okay. So 38 years at Pillsbury. Tell me what motivated you to stay that long. Well, it actually wasn't all with Pillsbury. You know, okay. in, the, in the industry, there were, uh, or in the nineties the in particular, there were lots of mergers and, uh, and then in the early two thousands. So there were multiple firms that were joining and I came from the a DC-based law firm of Shaw Pittman when we joined Pillsbury. And so I've been in the law firm industry for 38 years. And the combined firms, you know, since um, 2015. So yeah, it's been an incredible journey. And I think, no, I don't think, I know. The reason that I stayed because I had many, many opportunities to leave. You know, you, we get all of those calls, yeah. uh, as we hear about through recruiters. I was getting all of those calls, but it was not only just the people, but it was also the opportunities that I had had and the mentorship that I had had uh, throughout my career. And it was just, it, it was just growing and and manifesting at every turn. So it would take a lot to call me out from my firm and to leave. It was more than just a compensation or a title. It really had to be a bigger package for me. That's what they always say is a motivator for employees, right? And Jenna, you and I talked about this before. Money is not the motivator. 
and it's it's how you're being treated. And, and mm-hmm. we even talked about it this past weekend that of the top 20 reasons people are leaving their companies. What did they say, Jenna, that money was number 16? It's like 12 or 16. It's yeah, not it was even in the top 10. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty far down. The other thing they said was a remote work was not that high as you would expect in this current situation. You would think it's like one to five. It's not even that um, that high right now. I'd be curious to come back, you know, one of the top reasons uh, being bosses and how much they liked who they worked for. Was that one of the top motivators? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They say that's and that's been true for years. People quit because of their boss. You know, not that, you know, because usually you, you you plow through it because you like the people and you just ignore this one person. But when it's your boss, <laughs> it's hard. <Yeah>. So. <laughs> so, Maria, you mentioned that you were with the firm or I guess you, you, you combined and you were with an entity that was part of the firm for 38 years. Can you talk about how your job duties changed over time and your role changed over time? Oh, I love that question. The... We're going to go back to opportunities. <laughs> it's okay. The opportunities slash problems, right? The higher you go, the bigger the problems. Yeah. So that was really the, uh, those were, those are the things that really help change what you are, your responsibilities. I guess it's the best way to put it. The responsibility shift and the onus is really on you more and there's greater and greater, greater influence, but also you're at the front of the line now, right? So you're taking all the hits, speaking of full metal jackets, right? And so there's <laughs> no buffer, there's no cover, it's you. And so all that you have learned, all that you've grown through, all that you've experienced now is coming to the forefront. How are you going to use that in this situation? So right. one begot the next, right? So one or resolution, I'll say, of a problem is just a stepping stone to the next higher level and, and or just building blocks as you climb the career ladder. So responsibilities change and you're you're the person that people are looking to. Now, the higher you go, when you think about a, a ladder, for example, each of the steps that you climb in the ladder, like the first step you say, Everyone's like, oh my God, Maria, that's great. Yes, congratulations, you got the promotion. <laughs> and then you take the next step and you're a little bit higher and you're looking down on your friends a little bit, the people that you leave behind in that phase. And they're like, oh, okay, well, that's great. Don't forget your people down here. <laughs> and as you continue to rise, then you become a them. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to be okay with that. You have to, as you're climbing your career, to wrap your arms around the fact that the people that are closest to you, that care about you, that really want to see you climb are going to be there and they're going to cheer you on. But not everybody can come with you up that ladder, that career ladder. Everyone can't join you there. And it's being okay. It's it's losing the people pleasing. I want to be everybody's friend mentality along the way. And that's where you succeed. I, I believe you see succeed the most where you can identify your greatest skills, continue to climb and not and understand not everybody can go with you and stand alone. Sometimes you'll be standing. Alone. It's lonely. It's lonely at the top. It's lonely at the top. Phenomenally. Once I get there, I'll let you guys know. Mm-hmm. So, um. so I have a follow up question for you. Just 
as I'm listening to you talk, Maria, about your progression, you know, you mentioned that you came in as a receptionist right out of high school. Where did you go for that education? You know, you've, you've talked about mentorships. Where did you go for that education? Where did you go for your leadership training? How did you support yourself as you made that climb to make sure you were, you felt educated enough to make those decisions and make those jumps? I never felt educated enough. Yeah. Wow. I never, I, I even have trouble saying that I was a high school graduate when I started in the career field. That's just, just to be uh, totally transparent. And so I always felt behind. I've always felt um, that there was a little bit uh, that everybody had the edge up on me. So I had to try harder. And you'll hear a lot of black people say that as well, that they never felt like they could rise to the top. But I had to really question that uh, imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and face it front forward. And I went to the ALA, which was a huge, huge help. Right. You have highly experienced association of legal administrators who are walking ahead of you on the path. And I think that's really important. The college education, yes, all of that is good, but there was nothing like the leadership of professionals in the field, whatever the course of that was, human resources, because they're, you know, honestly, you can only learn so much in school. It's the school of hard knocks. You've heard that? Right. The school mm-hmm. of hard knocks, the people who've gone before you, who have had those challenges and greater ahead of you. Wow, what an impactful uh, community of individuals there who are extremely supportive. So I guess that my, my long answer to that is, it was still mentorship. I think that was the mm-hmm. greatest catapult for me was mentorship, not only within my firm, but externally through associations, community, and then uh, our, my college education. I really appreciate your honesty in your answer there. And it's actually a theme that we've heard a few times now, uh, as far as education is concerned and feeling that imposter syndrome, just in general, as you climb the ladder, but also uh, being in the legal industry when it comes to uh, your level of education as well, formal education. How I'm going to ask another question. Quick shout on out, yeah, quick sure. shout out to the Association of Legal Administrators, right? Absolutely. An association where if you feel lonely at the top and you join, you don't feel lonely anymore. There are yeah. people who have done it, and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. They will support you, and if they don't have the answer, they'll help you um, through that process. So shout out. Please let anyone know if they need help, join as a member, network, get the education, and your career will be definitely better for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I and that so and, and so that imposter syndrome, right? We a lot of people deal with it. How do you stand up or or throughout your career, how have you stood up to that imposter syndrome at different times when you maybe wanted to give in to it? Mm. Um <laughs> how have you dealt with that? <laughs> I want to, I want to just, if I may share just a quick instant that happened when I became the, the first position, I was the sole director of administration in a very large office. And I walk in and the managing partner says to me, we're going to have an all office meeting and everyone's invited partners, staff, associate, everybody's invited. And okay, great. And we have this huge boardroom, long table, beautiful windows. 
And we, he says, we're going to go in early to prep for the meeting, walk in. And he walks to the middle of the table and sits down and, and I'm you know, looking around and there's no one in the room, obviously. And he, and I, so I mirror his placement on the other side of the table in this massive room. And uh, he's writing notes, scripting notes, and he looks up at me and he, he says, Maria, that is not your seat. This oh. is your seat at the head of the table. Take your seat. Wow. Claim your wow. seat as the leader for this office. Now, I have to tell you, in that moment, right, nervous as I was leading this office, I, I shrunk back to that 14-year-old girl who witnessed uh, domestic violence in our home, who had to go to work while still, you know, just 14 years old to help our family financially. Everything in me, heart racing, all of that was going on. But when he said those words, something clicked for me. And I gathered my things and I clicked crack my heels to the front of that boardroom table and I sat down. And it was in that moment that I, I remember that moment distinctly. And that is the moment that helps me continue to walk in confidence. I may not always feel that, but that is how I am seen. I, I have this position, so I have to claim it. I have to own it fully. And that was... That pause for me has been a, frankly, a lifestyle. Well, I just take my, claim my seat. I take my seat at the it. head of the table. <laughs> Do you think that that partner knows the impact he had on you? Have oh, you I told, told him. him? Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's retired. He retired at 55, early retirement. He's doing fabulous. And he is an amazing, um, always been just an amazing human being uh, overall. But yes, I, did. I, I made sure Good. I told him that, Amanda. Good. That's awesome. So just shifting gears a little bit, having been in legal for as long as you have, what are some changes that you have seen over your career uh, with not only maybe the legal industry itself, but the delivery of services or the people who are working in your firms? Or what are some trends you can tell us about that you've noticed? Well, early on, I noticed how the, the lawyers became very tech savvy the more you know the younger they came in through right out of law school very self-reliant rather than depending on their secretary they were typing their own documents rather than having someone else schedule their travel they were taking care of it themselves so now this was affecting not only the the lawyers it's now affecting the secretary Right. And that then impacted her ability, his or her ability to now do something at a different level. Right. So maybe they need help at a more legal assistant level. So I've seen this trend continue even through COVID. Right. COVID has had us even more self-reliant. And so this trend has been going on for the, really the last 20 years. And I see a complete shift in how we do business inside of law firms and the support levels will continue to change. It's going to be interesting to see how this all evolves and the whole secret sauce to success of law firms in the support realm. I think that's interesting in the fact that the millennials that are joining the industry and the generation after them, they're looking for more than just 
you know, the junior level position, right? Because they, we were told we can be anything. We want to be the astronaut. So we walk in the door. We want to be managers. We have no experience, right? <laughs> so, but now the position of the industry is that, okay, we need you to be subject matter experts. We need you to know how to redline, how to do this. It's more of a high level understanding the clients and the practice group versus booking my travel. So I think that's what it's shifting to what the generations are asking for more substantive work to understand the cases and stuff. So I think it's moving in a trend that works for both uh, the impl- the people who are doing the work and the, in the organization who needs to figure out where sh- who should be doing the work. If that makes sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've seen that, too, over just, I mean, 17 years of um, dealing with this and trying to figure out what are the skills uh, that I need to hire for of people Mm -hmm. coming in. And um, it definitely has changed over time. Right. I, I. I was not in the career where we all had typewriters, although there are a lot of typewriters still around here. Mm-hmm. But I just know, you know, having heard back, like... I thought you were as much as you talk about us young people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that old, Rob. Mm. Um, I did learn to type on a typewriter rather than a computer. So if I'm aging myself, then there you go. I love it. Maria, what was the catalyst for you wanting to leave Pillsbury? I've been planning for this for a long time, mm-hmm. but my answer is probably going to be something that you didn't expect. And, it, and the answer is fear. Really? Why? Just as I talked about the evolution of leadership, of lawyers, of staff, I could see leadership changing as well. So it was twofold for me. I wanted to take my life, my career back, if that makes sense. Yeah. I wanted to take control of when I leave. In the HR field, so many times I have seen, and I'm going to use this number and and mean it, thousands of people I've had to let go or they lose their job through layoffs or whatever completely unprepared for the departure. And so I I always promised myself that I would never get fired, that I would work so hard they couldn't fire me, that I would become so relevant they couldn't fire me. But that's not true. That's a fairy tale. So I wanted to take back the ability for me to say when I was going to leave and to do what I believed I was called to do. So it was a little bit of fear, but I told the firm a year before I was leaving, hey, listen, this has been my plan for the last seven years. The day is coming. <laughs> One year from oh, actually, I told them, and they asked me if I could stay on a little bit longer. It was COVID, and I was like, "Okay, well, I'll stay a little bit longer." Then COVID went for two years. Like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> and so, and still, here I am today, really walking in what I believe is my calling. And part of that calling started with my nonprofit, my sister's closet. If I could plug that for a yeah, minute, yeah, please Go ahead. talk about that. Thank you. I started that. Uh, back in 2014, I'd actually been working in that since 19, the, ni- the 90s and uh, just helping women 
in their career trajectory. So for example, if there's a woman in a homeless shelter, a woman in a domestic violence safe house, and she has run away from her abuser, she takes everything for her kids because typically they all have kids. She takes everything for them and nothing for herself. She can't go back to her job because her abuser knows where she works and she's not really fully protected. So I help women, our team, and I help women and started my sister's closet to help these women transition into the back into the workforce, professional clothing, shoes, uh, the resume refresh. We help them with interview skills training and then we have a career fair to help them find a new job. And then sometimes they're they're one-offs, but we help these women transition back into the workforce. And it has been an amazing journey to be able to provide that kind of support to people in need. Homeless shelters have the same, homeless shelter residents have the same issue. And so we're just helping them with that transition. And you just wouldn't believe, because if you can help one woman Mother, you help generations. Her kids see her come off of public assistance. So her kids now identify now, not just with a woman who's getting government help. She, they actually see a woman now, their mother, who is now in the workforce. And, they, and then it shifts their view. It shifts their their possibilities. And that's what we do. So it is such a rewarding and fulfilling work that we do. And that has now manifested itself into a career coaching for those who actually can afford career coaching to help them with their career succession. And, and it's just a, an amazing opportunity to serve, to be a servant leader, which is really all, we all do that. If you think about our roles as, as uh, we are law firm administrators in our field, we're just servant leaders. How does that manifest in the public? And that's what I'm able to do today. So, so you're doing career coaching. What One, I want to just pause and say you're amazing for what you're doing. <laughs> um, you know, Thank some you. of us don't even think about the impact Uh when people go through something like that and it's just truly amazing hearing what you're doing and how you're helping. Um, you talked about what you're doing with your career now. Can you talk a little bit more about that? You said you're doing career coaching for those who can afford it. Um, what does that mean? What are you seeing? Where are you really adding value, uh, when you're coaching those people? Wow. That's a lot of questions in one. I know. <laughs> and it was my turn to ask a question. I know. So. I know. <laughs> okay. Amanda. Yep. Just, just pack that all in there. And next time Rob says, I talk too much. I want to pull this clip of him trying to take over all the questions. Difference is I'm asking questions, not talking. <laughs> oh, now go ahead. No, Be right. our guest. I'm just sit here. No, go ahead. That those were actually questions I was going to ask. So thank you, Rob. All right, great. Well, I'm happy to answer them, whether they're from you, Amanda, or from Rob. So thank you both <laughs> for the opportunity to share a little bit more about that. But let me also say that the I had an aha moment years ago. I'm on stage speaking to these women. Um, they were coming from all of the different um, shelters, safe houses, and and all. And I'm talking about what I do. And 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 seriously, I it never made the connection 
that I was a domestic violence survivor. It came to me on stage speaking to these women and I'm talking to them and it was just a wow. From a child's perspective, a 14 year old, I was able to speak. And so many times we go into the shelters, I speak to the kids and, and it, it came to me, oh, that's why, duh, the connection was made. So helping these these uh, women and children has just been a, a blessing for me. So let me talk about my career coaching. Thank you for the opportunity to share. my By walking away from my incredible career in the law firm industry, I have a passion for this career coaching and I saw a huge gap for law students of color. And so at the close of my career, I launched the Future Face of Law, which is my newest venture. Okay. I'm excited to hear about this. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. Well, it's a combination of, uh, first, let me say, it's not a nonprofit. And I'm going to tell you, (laughs) I'll share more about that. This is a for-profit endeavor. Got it. Got it. (laughs) The nonprofit, My Sister's Closet, is still running. This is my newest venture. Okay. And so it is... um, the Future Face of Law I created is, is a diverse, it's a group of diverse individuals, cultures, and backgrounds that are coming forward to help the community. We, it's, it's ready to create a pathway for access to like a whole world of genius. So all the lawyers, the people that I've connected with, mentors, all come together and are assisting me to actualize DEI goals for law firms. So... The future face of law was birthed after I saw so many law students of color unprepared for mm-hmm. OCI. OCI is on-campus interviewing, and so few of them selected. Right. So my heart's passion around that is really to bridge that gap and provide, I'll just tell you this, According to a 2020 uh, study by the American Bar Association, only 5% of all lawyers in big law are, are black. Wow. This is the same percentage. Get this. Oh, that's a wow. But listen to this. <laughs> that same percentage. I just did a study on that. The number is exactly the same from 10 years ago. Nothing oh. has changed. Wow. It's terrible. Nothing has, the numbers have not changed. So our mission is to improve the recruitment and retention because you can, you can recruit them. We know, oh, they're out there like, yay, let's recruit them. But what about the retention of minority and black law students and early career attorneys? How do we keep them? So it's, this is actually Rob. Uh, I'm sorry, I'll interrupt you just real quick. I want to just give a couple of background to some of the people who are listening who might not completely understand what OCI is and how that process works. So law firms, when we are recruiting, we start with our first, what we call our our first year attorneys, right? And you have to have a pipeline. So you have to have attorneys coming in at the very beginning of their career, all the way up to partners. And one of the ways that a lot of firms, usually mid to large size firms, find new talent is they do this thing called OCI. And that stands for, like Maria said, on-campus interviewing. So we get a packet of resumes. We don't really see a lot about the person, name and their grades. And we select a few people. We either 
go to campus, which is the on-campus interviewing, over the, a couple of days. And as recruiters or HR, um, for the uh, different people in charge of the recruiting process, they will interview 6, 10, 12, 14 law students in a day. And these are 12, 10, 10, 12, 15 minute interviews. So you've got somebody to come in, you've read their resume, you've read their writing sample, you ask them four or five questions, and then you go on. And from those, you select people who will be either joining your firm the following year or who will be joining you as clerks. So you're actually you're interviewing them in August, so they will come be your clerk in May and work for you for 10 weeks and then not become your attorney until another year after that, right? So you're kind of interviewing people two years before they would start at your firm. And to keep that pipeline, right, we have to continue to do OCI. But where Maria, I think what you're going to help us with as firms is making sure that that very first list of 10 people we get is representative of what our firms are trying to accomplish with regards to hiring diverse candidates. Because if we don't see them in the first 10 people we meet one day in August, two years from now, we don't have any diverse uh, or men of color, women of color, we don't have them starting at the firm. So I kind of pulled back a little bit, stole your thunder, but is that what you're trying to accomplish? That's exactly right, Amanda. That's beautifully said, beautifully said. Thank you. You know, you're talking about OCIs. You're talking about stats. Um, Can we just take a step back and talk for a second, just law students of color in general? What are some of the other obstacles you know, we have a pretty big platform now that reaches people in the industry. What are some of the obstacles that law students of color are facing and where can people help or how can people help? Well, let's start with, I was speaking with uh, some of the law students of color at North Carolina Central Law School. Mm-hmm. And I asked them about OCI and their uh, knowledge and uh, support that they needed. And they said, oh, see what? <laughs> so many of these uh, historically black law schools don't even know about OCI. That was the, the second shocker for me. So how can we help? How can we help is first bringing our, stretching it, stretching our arm a little bit farther. These are amazing students, top of their class, brilliant. Some of them have even worked inside of law firms as paralegals. But you have to think about some of the obstacles that they face. Not only are they the first to go to college in their family, law school, they don't have a, they don't have a clue anyone leading them, right? And right. so having many of the, their, the competitors from the larger schools, the more prominent schools have not only they've seen um, several people go into law school and be very successful, their parents have may even be a lawyer. Their parents' friends may be lawyers and they can get them into law schools. So there are lots of challenges there that they face. And we're here to bridge that gap for them so that they're not facing that, at least we can put lower some of those walls to help them through the networking partnership and our professional development programs. 
So, Rob, I was telling you a couple of weeks ago about some of the struggles that large firms are facing when we're hiring corporate clients. And so I think Facebook is one of the first ones who said, if you're going to be an outside counsel, if you're going to be a firm outside of ours and you're going to provide us legal services, the, the team that you present in front of Facebook must be diverse. And not only must it be diverse, but if there must be 30% of the people on there that are not um, that are a, a different percentage than what you already have in your firm. And not only can they be on the team, so it's not just putting pictures on a pitch or on a brochure, they have to be actively involved in the case, right? So corporations or law firms are driving this. Law firms are actively engaged, I think, in trying to increase that. But Maria, what I'm hoping you're saying you're going to do is really bridge that gap, helping law firms find the talent that otherwise can't find law firms. Absolutely. And we do this through networking opportunities where we bring together these students and law firms. We are, we're actually planning a, a conference. We have several webinars just to teach the students about OCI and prepare them. And all of it's really free for the students. We really want them to have no additional barriers to keep them. We need law firms partnering with us, not only to be present, fully present at the uh, events that we have, but sponsors. You can actually, as a, a law firm, host a breakfast inside of our conference, host one of our webinars, uh, be one of our webinar uh, panelists, in fact, to help provide the information necessary. What what is What would you tell your younger self, your first year law student self, those kind of engaging um, uh, abilities and, and events to help students along the way. I just think to create relationships it will help so much. And we're excited to provide that. I'm super excited about this. And I'm really, I really think you're filling a gap. And I hope we've got some firms listening who are going to be reaching out to you to seeing how you can help achieve some of the goals that they have. Now, Jenna's here and Jenna's been a little quiet and that's completely unlike Jenna. And so I appreciate that a little bit, but I also want to hear. Wow. <laughs> now, Jenna, I'll just call about, that out for you. This is not about me. This is about Maria, right? I mean, you've already heard my story and I'm, my story is still in process, right? Um, yes. And what I want to, what I wanted to do is make the connection. Why is Jenna on this podcast with Maria right. Stanfield, this is, right? This is where like, I'm, how this did this even leading <laughs> I know I was not Instagram stalking Amanda saying, please put me back on. Um, <laughs> so um, I was a part, I participated in the great resignation. I just started at Pillsbury about seven weeks ago. And, um, you know, I actually took Maria's position. So she went to follow her dream and do the good work. And she, you know, the firm selected me um, to take her role. Um, and I remember when, um, you know, they gave you the list of who you're going to interview with. I said, I know that name. Where do I know that name from? <laughs> of course, yeah. it's about this person who in ALA is like a secret agent. You know, she's around, but she's not as visible. But you know about Maria and right. all the good work she's done and her book from the front desk to the corner office. If you haven't read that, it, it will definitely give you some inspiration no matter where you are in your career. So um, to uh, uh, take over or take on the position that she used to have, I definitely have been um, inspired by her. 
you know, I am going to make my own mark. But, you know, people were saying, Jenna, you have big shoes to fill. And I say, I'm buying new shoes. I'm new shoes. I know. I was going to say, <laughs> Jenna, shoes. she's you not filling that, anybody yeah. else's shoes. She's buying her own shoes. I'm new shoes. <laughs> right? I mean, so uh, I'm luckily uh, lucky enough to have Maria uh, to be able to call her and say, hey, what is this going on? Right? And that's one of the benefits that the firms allowed me to do is to really reach out to her. And so I don't, my ramp up period is much shorter. Um, and so um, I think it was meant to be, right? Maria and I operate very similarly in how we look at uh, leading people and developing them um, to the next level and taking care of things. We, we very much stand in our own right. We, you know, if we're not going to be invited to the table, we're going to create that table, invite you to come sit with us. Um, and so it has been you know, if you're looking at the whole pipe, like uh, trajectory of my career, I was meant to be in this role and as the director of administration for Northern Virginia. So it has been an absolute pleasure to learn from her and, you know, really create a friendship there. You know, I want to say that um, Jenna, Jenna and I met on a phone call uh, as we were, you know, putting the position out there. And I, I don't know if she knows this, but I picked her right away. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> she, oh. <laughs> she, she, she's called and chosen for that role <laughs> in my, in my view. And so to have her, um, to see her, to talk with her, uh, I, I, we're just here to, to help one another succeed. And, and I thank you, uh, Jenna, for saying yes to, to take over the position. And I think you're, you, I think you're a phenomenal woman and I just cannot wait to see the next aspect of your career and growth. And I just, um, I truly just love you, love you to pieces. Oh, same here. And when I heard that they were like, oh, Jenna, do you know Maria? Yes. Put her on the podcast. <laughs> Do all the things because I think that that's another thing we need to do. We need to help uplift each other. We don't have to do this alone. Amen. I have a network. She has an opportunity. Why not put our two superpowers together to help the greater cause, which is the future of diverse attorneys and let's just say the professionals. Let's say mm-hmm. on the non-attorney side. There is still diversity issues in firms with leadership of diverse background. And so there's work and hopefully it's a trickle down effect. Right. So I'm 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 supportive of Maria and whatever she needs. She needs me to lick stamps, <laughs> go down the pavement, knock on doors, call schools. I will do that because it's for the greater good. You know, it's funny, you know, they'll, they'll end up cutting out the pauses, but there were a few pauses at the end when Maria finished speaking. I mean, my wheels were just turning. You guys have really, what you guys are doing is amazing. And I think it, it will help even more than just the legal community, right? Um, what you, what you're doing with women, Maria, uh, Jenna, I loved your, you know, I, I commented on something on LinkedIn the other day, just like Maria's story, you have an amazing story as well. So it's just great to see your success, both of your successes and how you're giving back and what you're doing for others who are trying to make the same journey. So it's, well, it's great to hear. Maria and I didn't get here by ourselves. You know, there are people that were positioned for us to get to this next posi- uh, step. And if we did not recognize and give back that 
what kind of people are we, right? And I right. mean, even Amanda is a part of my path, right? And so she'll say something to me and I'm like, watch out. Hmm. <laughs> I didn't think about it like that. Everyone needs that person to bounce ideas off or just to swat them away and say, no, don't do that, right? And, <laughs> and that comes with trust, right, Maria? Yeah, you really right. need a circle of people that will tell you, okay, did you consider this? Or you don't need a rubber stamp team. I don't need that. I need someone that says, consider this, think about that. And then I make my own decisions and hopefully they're the best, you know, for, for my progress. So an organization. Trusted that I'm advisors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think also you, what my motto is, is to lift as I climb, mm. lift as I climb. So as I'm climbing, whatever that is, climbing the corporate ladder or entrepreneurship to lift others up as I climb. I love it. So we're going to transition. The last part of the podcast is pitch your passion. I know you spoke about some great things you're doing, but wanted to give you a few minutes just to continue to speak on that. Or if there's something else that you want to highlight. Uh, Let's see. (laughs) Well, Jenna briefly mentioned your book. So I'd like to hear some about that. It's called From the Front Desk to the Corner Office. And when did that come out? It came out in 2019 and I wrote it. Let me just first tell you a little bit about the, the writing of the book. So I said, I told my husband, honey, I'm going to write a book and uh, it's going to talk about my career. And he says, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, 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 you're challenging me now. Oh, let's get this book out. So you're sleeping outside tonight. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, no, actually, that was my inspiration because I have a tendency to procrastinate, to say that I'm going to do something. But this time I was like, I'm not going to just talk about it. I'm going to be about it. I'm going to write this book. And it's called From the Front Desk to the Corner Office. It's just my journey, my professional career journey through the obstacles that we've talked about, but also what was going on behind the scenes. You see, we have to really address the whole person. We think that, you know, we see the person up front, we can look at their Instagram and their LinkedIn pages and think that they are just these wonderful influencers. What's really going on behind the scenes of their lives? And so the book tells of my journey, not only what's happening in my professional career, but also what's happening at home. How was I able to work? 12, 14 hours. That's the real life that people don't talk about Mm -hmm. in law firms when it's really, you know, really blowing up and there's a big deal going on or big changes that are happening. How are you raising your kids? I had young kids uh, who are now who are now adults, but I had, you know, babies. What was going on at home? Who was watching the kids? Who was who was reading to the kids at night? Who was cooking their dinner? And so I talk about that and this being, as, as Jenna referenced earlier, really a community, a support. And my husband was, was that for me, along with um, some family members. And it wasn't always understanding, you know, inside the law firm that you say, well, sorry, I need to run to go pick up my kids. That wasn't really... Mm-hmm. It was it was frowned upon. And let's be honest about it. As women, we had that where we like, well, so and so, the male, your male counterpart who may be a manager at the time, is doesn't have to run and do that. So you need to handle your business here. And I talk about that in the book and how my my husband shifted his career and supported me along the way. And I really 
I attribute my success not only to the hard work that you put forth, but also to the support of my husband, to the support of my kids, not uh, not holding it against me when I wasn't able to show up for all of their events, Mm -hmm. that it was really a partnership to get there and the struggles to get there. yeah, it wasn't it wasn't easy. So I talk about that in the book. So thank you for asking me about that. It's not just about the career, but the full person behind the career and what was happening. It makes me jealous because I I hope to do something similar one day. I also have the same type of husband that supports me and kids who understand. I mean, I watched my son's baseball game over FaceTime this past weekend because we were at a conference and the game was Friday. And so I had to step out of sessions to have my husband hold the phone up against the screen so I could see my son bat. And, you know, you really, as a mom, you had that just, it's hard, right? It's hard to not be there cheering and to be cheering through a phone instead. But my husband I'm, I do it because of him and I do it for the kids and I'm able to do it because they are understanding as well. So that, you know, that, that is your passion. And it, I think it's, it hits so so hard for me and Jenna, I know that's for you too, you know, having the support and how important that is. Yeah. And I did not have a husband, but I had a tribe, right? I went with myself through um, college. I had my daughter at 19, but myself through college worked in legal and I said, Oh, I need to go get my master's degree. So then went back and doing that work. And I found myself many times pulling my daughter in on a Saturday, she's sitting on the floor playing and I'm doing the work, right. Or working late after she goes to sleep. You know, I think it's the passion for what we're doing and drive to make it happen for our families that really have pushed look for me to where I am today. My daughter now is in her senior year of college. I have a whole human being right? Who pays taxes and has her own apartment. I'm like, how'd you get here? This is amazing. <laughs> yes, I, it, it is. Uh, it's rewarding that in through it all, and Amanda, I'll just speak to you, through it all and all the sacrifices, it's well worth it. And your kids will thank you for mm-hmm. it and to see them as they grow up to be actual like good human beings, but you are a wonderful role model to them. And I hear this from my own kids and they caution me of this new venture that I'm launching as in addition to the nonprofit, mom, you're supposed to be like slowing down at this, this thing. <laughs> right? calm now, I don't, you don't want you to overdo it, but um, they, they look to me and, they, and we need women like you, Amanda, like you, Jenna, to help us uh, help other women press in and say, it's going to be okay. So in the midst of it all, it, it, it makes, I can remember my, my oldest daughter standing with her hands plastered against the screen door of the babysitter's house as we drove off to work that day. And she's crying and I'm crying as my face is uh. smashed up against the passenger side window <laughs> as my husband's driving away. But today, when I look back over that and I think back and the wonderful women who are now also working full time and uh, full time entrepreneurs and the success and the platforms that they have today, I can say to you, Amanda and women like you, it's going to be all right. And they're going to be great human beings. Thank you. (laughs) Tears on coming. (laughs) Well, thank you, Maria, for joining us today and Jenna. You as well. We had a lot of fun. I think there's a lot of great insight that will come from this. So thank you both. 
Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Most Illegal Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can also check us out online on mostlylegalpodcast.com where you can sign up for our email list, get weekly recaps, and get some of your very own Mostly Legal swag.